you get off on the weird? Monsters, Halloween, horror. You've heard of word porn, car porn, earth porn. Now prepare yourself for monster porn. Is this really a good idea? Weird fiction and horror podcast. Created by the Backwards Hat Guy, Matt Cummins. Are you trying to teach psychic powers to animals? Puggles, the abomination trapped in the body of an adorable teacup piggy. Good for humans. And myself, lead occultist, Brett Norwood. Today's story is Pastorus, the Hesycast. Good day, monster baiters. Good morning, Vietnam. No, <laughs> I think that every time. Uh, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Monster Porn. I just want to take a minute and say a few things about our, for our new listeners, not about our new listeners. I'm not going to insult you guys. Uh, no, so I just wanted to explain the format a little bit. Uh, we are a fiction anthology podcast, mostly speculative fiction. Uh, and we do one story uh, per week, kind of wrapped in an intro, outro. The intro has a variety of characters, uh, two of whom are, uh, wait, of whom are Brett, oh, Brett, you, you, you've edited my shit. Um, the intro has a variety of characters. Brett and I are two of the characters, uh, and there's a loose plot line sometimes. Uh, we are more similar to the old Tales from the Crypt television series than most other horror podcasts. So yeah, I just wanted to give the new listeners a heads up. Also, thanks for the new reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you guys enjoy the show, uh, the best way to help us out is to subscribe, first of all, and then rate and review. Uh, we just want to keep on the charts on iTunes. It helps us uh, stay visible. So yeah, um, thanks. Brett, you got anything? We'd like to give a shout out to comic artist Jesse White. Masturbators, if you like weird and pulpy stuff, otherwise why are you even here? Jesse White is working on a vintage pulp style magazine along the lines of Eerie or Tales from the Crypt. The art is gorgeous. He's doing all the art himself, and it looks like he's working with a few different writers. Anyway, check it out if you're into comics. He's calling it Strange Adventures. He has a Kickstarter going. The link is in the episode description. You had a look at this too, Matt. What did you think? Uh, Yeah, I did take a look at it, and it definitely harkens back to the better days of comic book artwork. I would really encourage you guys to go check it out. I just want to say one more time, if you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. All right, on to the show. Oh, man. Thanks for the ride home from Dinosaur Erotica Island, free speech pteranodon. God, my back is kind of tweaked. <laughs> Never fit to get the retirees! The Mandalorian is the opiate of the masses! We're home, Matt, but things have changed. Yeah, man. Where did all this tropical rainforest come from? I mean, in my backyard. My wife was never that into gardening. It's like we never left Dinosaur Erotica Island. Yes. It seems that while we were on the prehistoric island, the rest of the world turned into a prehistoric island as well. Was that a fucking T-Rex? Are there T-Rexes still? Okay, can we just not escape the scaly, sensuous clutches of the Dinosaur Erotica Island? Damn it! Ornithomimids! Get out of my hydrangea. thought your wife didn't garden. She doesn't, but I do. Emphasis on the butt, I see. What? You don't like my gardening chaps? 
Hello there. I see you are puzzled by what has become of the world in your absence. Who are you? Why are you dressed like a barbarian? I am Algor the Barbarian, defender of the realm of men and survivor of the hot apocalypse. Algor? I flew here in my private jet. So, what happened here, Algor? We call it the hot apocalypse. For the past few weeks, there have been an anomalous spike in super CO2 emissions into the atmosphere, which triggered the climate scientists, before we cannibalized them to survive, called the Great Fucking Climate Meltdown. My no. god. I left my environmental degradation device running the whole time we were on Dinosaur Erotica Island. I remembered to turn off the oven, but Norgal be damned I did not turn off the Super CO2 machine. Brett's machine did this? Yes. Brett's machine actually did something. I'm afraid so. Come, I must take you to the Manaya King. Manaya King? It's this way through the shrubbage, kind of where your patio used to be. This is my patio, but all the patio furniture is stacked together to make some sort of Mad Max vine-covered throne. Behold the Manaya King, God Emperor of the Hot Earth. Puggles? Oh, fuck yeah, buddy. Who do you think would rule this hot, sexy world? I dig the post-apocalyptic vibe. The rusty spike helmet really complements your complexion. New, uh, new makeup palette, too. I like the chicken wire bat wings, too. How did this happen to Earth? Greenhouse gases really did this while we were gone? Oh, uh, well, yeah, it's easy to see that your dumb planet's geological history is a history of eons of cycles of CO2. Geological processes trap CO2 in the ground, the Earth becomes a snowball, they release CO2 into the air... It becomes a hothouse, up and down, up and down. <laughs> I get it. Uh, runaway feedback cycles, just like any woman. So, uh, how could CO2 emissions not create a climate apocalypse? Jesus! Given that, I should have taken the destructive capabilities of the environmental degradation device much more seriously. Oh, your device? Is that what Al Gore the Smartbarian told you? <laughs> oh, his first personal fucking jet puts out what, uh, like 200 billion times the amount of super CO2 per year. And you think that's a lot? Wait until you hear about energy injures. What? You were trying to pin this on Brett? Do you really think this washed up, sad wannabe Gandalf is capable of accomplishing anything, let alone an apocalypse? Hey. Well, uh, his queef machine did help that, though, uh, just marginally. Wait, Al Gore is getting away. In his private post-apocalyptic mayhem jet. Uh... The dark, stale air smelled like ammonia. Seekander sat on the tiles, cubed in by cinder blocks, and shaking. An unstoppable jitter had crescendoed toward uncontrolled convulsion with the time he'd had now to dwell on the facts and stew and isolation. Through the heavy and bolted door, he could hear surprisingly little. Seekander had his own small universe here, of sightlessness and floor cleaner. A blank canvas on which to let obsessive terror play. The slightest sliver of white daylight cut through beneath the door. 
The isolation made it worse, transforming his mind into a runaway feedback loop of the same dreadful thoughts repeated again and again. He hugged his knees to his chest, sitting on the edge of the tiled drain basin next to a wheeled yellow mop bucket. Why remained? Sikander's thoughts always wheeled back to this. But whenever he tried to answer it, any rational analysis would fall prey to a rush of dread. Because he would be reminded he didn't know where Kiana, his girlfriend, was, or Ahmed, his brother. Sikander had planned to dump Kiana tonight. That had been the fear looming over this day for the whole week since his birthday, when he got the keys to his Mazda. But funny how things change. He'd resisted his family's pressure for almost a year with Kiana. But there came a point when he had to admit to himself that he was clinging to her more for the principle of it than because he loved her. And when Sikander realized this, he bowed, and he took what his father had been holding over him. He tried not to let himself reduce it, in his mind, to the bare fact that he'd traded his girlfriend for a car. Or, for that matter, that photos of the Sultana girl, Nita, from the old country, made her look like an attractive option, at least from the most superficial measures entailed in photographs. But now, Sikander noted with sickly bemusement that his mind kept spinning back around to Kiana. He felt like he should be doing something. And what of Ahmed? Sikander knew his brother had phys ed this period. It was November, so class was probably indoors, in the big open gym. Something about fish in a bucket came to mind. Where would they have taken shelter? The locker room? No. Probably the storage room off of the gym. Sikander wished he could peek out and know the state of things. The not knowing was nearly worse than the danger of exposure. Until he remembered how the initial terror had felt. He'd never known anything like it before. At first, it was pure reaction. No fear. But then it hit. And it felt utterly debilitating like a lead curtain dropped on his neck. He wished he could get out from under it. He wished he could do something. But what could he hope to do besides die with the others? Yet, if no one stood up in a time like this, his own life be damned. No, that was crazy thinking. There was no use making himself feel guilty, useless. It was utterly beyond him. The authorities had to be on the scene leave it to the police, and live through this thing. He heard a soft, wet plop as some substance hit the drain basin beside him, heavier than a dripping faucet, but he didn't think much of it at first. But slowly, stubbornly, the fact that he didn't know what it could have been tore him away from graver concerns. Sikander's eyes tried in vain to machete their way through the darkness and make out the basin. Faintly, he could maybe detect the polished steel circle of the drain grate, but the tile remained uniformly unknowable. Maybe his eyes would adjust a little more given a few minutes. In any case, a leaking container of some cleaning goo on a shelf was the least of his concerns. He heard another plop, a smaller, lighter one like a little smack. Sikander squinted in the direction for another two seconds, and then gazed back toward the sliver of light beneath the door. 
this being the only remnant of the outside world. His knees bobbed up and down with frenetic, anxious energy. At least two things surprised Seekander about his reaction to the crisis. Details that he wouldn't have considered beforehand. First, he couldn't stop shaking, as if it were a million degrees below zero. Second, he realized he needed to piss. He didn't want to acknowledge it, but that need was becoming absolutely undeniable. After fighting to ignore it for several infinite minutes more, telling himself he was not in a bathroom, nowhere near a bathroom, and would not be able to visit a bathroom anytime soon, it occurred to him that the janitor's closet was perhaps the closest possible thing to a bathroom he could be in. It was private, and there was a drain in the floor designed for accepting waste. So, alone in the oppressive darkness of the little room, Seekander stood quietly, unzipped his fly, and urinated into the basin. He quickly found that not being able to see was a problem, but from the sound of it, he was hitting the tile near to the drain. He adjusted to see if he could hear himself hitting the drain directly, then he could be sure. The shaking didn't help either, and gave the sound of his stream a wavering rhythm. He finished what needed doing, and, shaking, fought with his fly and then sat back down and resumed listening for signs that wouldn't come. Someone has to be here by now, he thought. It's gone so quiet. Maybe it's even over. How will I know when it's over? Will anyone find me in here? He pictured himself emerging into the hallway stepping into an array of the discarded bodies of his peers, piles of them, and he stepped over her, lifeless as a deer on the highway outside of town. The vision was there and gone in a flash. He choked as his throat clicked and his eyes watered. Another plop, heavier, sounded from the wetted tiles of the basin. And then another. Sikander gazed dumbly into the black his thoughts now scattered and half-formed. People are dying, he noted, feeling waves of panic rush over him. For the first time since it began, Seekander gave in fully and cried. It almost hadn't even occurred to him to cry before now. He covered his mouth with his palm and choked on sobs that now insisted their way rudely up through his throat. He felt guilty and helpless. Guilty that his number one concern was decidedly his own safety, and helpless in that even if he overcame this, there was nothing at all he could do to help those who were suffering a fate worse than his own. More of the unknown substance tumbled into the basin beside him, like the sound of vomit projected into the toilet. Sikander cut his sob in his throat and stood up. He listened. There was no more, whatever it was. Sikander's ears burned and eyes glistened in the dark. Why? spoke a girl's voice. Sikander jumped. He raised and then quickly lowered his voice. Who's there? W what? There wasn't a reply. Sikander struggled to see across the basin where he believed the voice had originated. Faintly, he imagined a silhouette. Petite and feminine but he may have only imagined it. The idea unfolded in him slowly that he wasn't alone when he pissed a moment ago, and he racked his brain to visualize how the room had looked before he closed the door. 
This girl had to have been hiding in here the whole time. Somewhere. Who was there? He tried again. Hushed. Urgent. I, I'm sorry, I thought I was alone in here. You were alone. The small voice returned. That is the why that I found you and not another. I am new to here. Now, give me answer why. Why? Sikander echoed. Fuck if I know why. Who are you? Are you the new exchange student? I comprehend not the manners of the culture of you, she said after a moment. Having grown up as something of an outsider in his own culture, Sikander's mind stumbled a moment over being accused, as if naively, of belonging to the culture that created this sort of thing, but only for a moment. His grandfather's voice in him denied any part in the West, though they hadn't been in any hurry to leave and go, quote-unquote, home for three generations now. This was the only home Sikander would call home. But this thing that was happening, it was part of the decadence of the West, a symptom of faithlessness, his parents would say. It would never happen in the old country. This is a known thing, is it not? She said after some time. It is something that occur time to time, a ritual, perhaps. I wouldn't call it a... Sikander started. But, yes, it's something that happens here, I... Why? She cut him off. Sikander squinted into the shadow. Sorry, I'm Sikander Khan. And who are you? What she said, she said reluctantly. There is no name for me in tongue of you. What? Sikander answered. Where, where are you? I come to you here, to no answer why. That is the all, she interrupted, her voice grown stern. I see this occurrence happen, and come to see and to know what this thing is. I want to know why it occurs. I want to know why the guardians of your civilization, armed, wait outside and do not act, but wait as if they wait for it to complete. It is some ritual, this thing, yes? It occurs time to time and has prescribed form. Therefore, there must also be understanding of it. That is what I want from you. What do you mean they're waiting outside not doing anything? Sikander marveled, sick to his stomach. The armed ones, with the flashing lights, they wait, she said. I saw them as I came to you. They must, they must, Sikander stuttered. What he wanted to express was that they must be waiting for the right moment to minimize collateral loss. But he had trouble expressing this even to himself. He knew that the longer they waited, the more people stood to die inside. So, if people stand to die either way, the only difference is in the liability. Why? she repeated. I don't know why, Sikander snapped. No one knows why. Hmm, she toned, thoughtfully, yet dismissively. If this ritual does not occur intentionally, your people must needs ask and discover why, no? 
Is that not the only intelligent course, to find the why and know and become able to control the occurrence? Is that not the one way to lessen killing, to know the why of it? How is it that your people do not know the why? They, they don't really talk about why, Sikander answered, shaking madly. On the news, I mean, they argue over what to do about it. That's all you hear from them. Nobody asks why. They just pontificate on it for the points they already wanted to make. Nobody knows why it happens, but... But it didn't always happen, and it doesn't happen everywhere. Interesting, she said. Such suggests that something has changed to create the ritual, and further that there is interest by some... In not doing analysis on the ritual. Interesting, Sikander echoed sickly. Doubtlessly some of our friends are dead right now. These are not my friends. I do not have the many of friends. Where the fuck did you come from? Sikander demanded, exasperated. It is not in my interest to answer this to you, she said. If you cannot give answer to me with the why, I will go to things that are not a waste. We're not going out that door any time soon, so... You might as well tell me who I'm stuck here with, Sikander answered. Tell me, then, about the one who started the ritual, she said coolly. Sikander groaned at his demand being ignored. Tylor, he muttered, and he noted how that name, so recently innocuous, if remarkable for anything remarkable for being harmless, had taken on a nasty taste in his mouth that made him even regret saying it. Tylor, spelled with an O, T-Y-L-O-R, which his parents had somehow in a lapse of taste considered it a good idea to spell like an 80s cartoon villain, had been a kid in the background of Sikander's school experience since middle school when Tylor shared a locker with his brother Ahmed. Ahmed said that the locker was always full of collectible card game decks and crumpled up BMX magazines. Really, that's about all that Sikander knew about Tylor. In no way would he have anticipated what he would do today. He couldn't have said that Tylor was a normal kid. How could he be with that name? But he also never pegged him as sitting on his hands and just waiting to go on a murder holiday. Sikander strung together a meandering, disjointed explanation of Tylor to his interlocutor, to which she hummed again in thoughtful yet dismissive acknowledgement. Yet neither does this contain the why, she mused. No, no it doesn't, Sikander agreed darkly. The guy must have just snapped. Maybe he's been brooding on it for a long time, I don't know. Mental illness, extreme mental illness, I guess that's all you can say. Talking about Tylor and trying to imagine how he could get to the point of doing something like this was making Sikander feel ill, and that feeling conspired with the smell of cleaners to turn his stomach a little bit. It seems to me, she said slowly, that the armed ones outside are more than sufficient to overwhelm this. Tylor. There must yet be something that I do not know. There must be some... allowance? Allowance? No, Sikander said, shaking his head. There's no fucking allowance. Within the hour, Sikander knew, the news would be making a celebrity out of Tylor. 
a villain and avatar of gun culture and the supposed culture of young white men in red states, and bringing on kids to advocate for gun control. Sikander's shock was mutating into a barely containable rage. The whole situation was fucked, from the shooter to the emergency response to the news coverage to the cultural fallout that would change nothing and understand less. Sikander was silent for a long time. At last, she said, And why do you do nothing but hide? Sikander's blood boiled, and the vague image of seizing this shadow person by the neck and shaking her flashed in his mind. Instead, he hit the underside of his fist against the cinder blocks. What the fuck can I do about it but die? It came out somewhere between a whisper, a shout, and a whine. I mean, why the fuck aren't you doing anything about it either? What can we do about it but wait and try not to go fucking crazy? The regulations of the Order of Me do not allow me to act on this, she said. Sometimes things one does not understand are hardly noted and simply enter one's ears and proceed to oblivion. So it was with the phrase regulations of the order to Sikander. She went on before he could rethink this dismissal. Yet this is an occurrence of the people of you. Is it that the organism of you has not the mental strength or control of emotional response required to interface with? Sikander punched the wall again with the soft of his hand, which barely made a sound. He didn't answer her, but this action silenced her. Who the fuck are you? He demanded again after a moment. What the fuck are you? Hmm, she toned, like a condescending sigh. Very well. Perhaps this will do some good of you. He started back as something that felt like a thread or hair touched at the corner of his eye. But before he would finish saying the word, what? He was completely somewhere else. The world sparkled like when he was dealt a good hit to the head once in soccer practice, or when one presses on his eyes with his palms in a dark room. Then he saw it. He saw worlds. He saw worlds die. Like dainty jewels when the lights cut off, they blinked out of vision, a shadow creeping through the universe. This is the gloaming, her voice told. The twilight of worlds. The extinction of the candle of life. One flame at a time. What is it? Sikander asked inwardly. It is the wilting of the will to live, as well blossoms the will to die in place. It is a mind virus, manufactured by a heretic cult and that now cross the distance between stars. It was designed to end the suffering of sentient beings everywhere by making them accepting to voluntary death. Sikander witnessed nameless lands beneath alien-colored skies, strewn with beings dead by their own hands, hanging from extraterrestrial trees, or drugged or shot with self-inflicted or assisted wounds. Whole worlds had just given up and died. Then there was one like an ancient pagan god, a gleaming purple man of muscle, girt in gilded robes, one sandal planted on a ramp of some golden waiting vessel that looked like a cephalopod crossed with Cinderella's pumpkin coach and a NASA shuttle. On the man's breast, if one used the term man generously, there was a symbol like a red hourglass on a black widow's abdomen. 
A mechanical world unfolded from nothing. City blocks like squat steel plates. Towers like engine blocks. Streets like Hot Wheels racetrack sets. All of this teeming with life. And the skies with life. If any of it could be called life. They were machines. Machine people. And one could not tell where they ended and their implements of war began. They were modular and one put on a tank as a person puts on a pair of pants. They wore their fighter jets like dancers' tutus. These locust-like hosts fought the golden squid ships of the purple one. From their midst, Seekander saw a titanic robot with air intakes on the sides of his bald head rise up from the planet and punch through a miles-long dropship as laser weapons crisscrossed the black sky like lethal northern lights and black spider-like people in metal tunics scurried across the face of the planet, wearing that red sigil of death. Of all the peopled worlds, the Umiauts were our greatest hope, machine men without emotion, who could not be swayed by the mind disease, yet who would stand against the coming death for the sake of all the living. But the Umiauts were destroyed to the last of them. Immeasurable bombs detonated in the jet-black seas of the steel world, spreading tidal waves over the mechanical continents. Many were lost to this deluge. Those who survived found themselves outnumbered and outgunned while fleeing the cataclysm by the gleaming golden tentacle gourds that still swarmed the skies. Escape ships were pursued with ruthless attentiveness. Sikander saw but one refugee vanish into the interstellar void, like a dying star winking out forevermore. I am sent to this world of you to work against the spread of the disease, she said. Like the Umiots, I am without the weakness of emotion. Unlike the Umiots, I am made for this very purpose and no other. Sikander watched her still silhouette in the dark, suddenly feeling an alien in his own reality. You can see, perhaps, verily, the why as to I thought this celebration of death today may pertain to the work of me, for wherever the many are given over to death with no fight, there is, I think until I know, the work of him, and verily it seemed to me, Iskander Khan, that the Tylor mean more than anything else to make himself die at hands of the armed ones who gather outside. Is that not the meaning of him today? Sikander nodded slowly, not that he thought she could see it. I, I suppose it is. It's suicide. Is it, is it the work of him, the one that I saw? I mean, that would explain. That would be the reason for all this. No, she ruled. The Tylor does not glow with the disease of him. For this, the regulation does not allow me to act. It is the matter of the people of you. But isn't it the same? It's the same disease that started the disease that's out there. Isn't it? Hmm, she acknowledged. I cannot, by the regulation, do a thing for this occasion. It is... How we hold good will with the worlds we serve, by to stay from the business of them, good or bad. Can, 
Can you help me do something? He pressed. She hesitated. I will not inhibit you. There was silence for half a minute as Seekander realized his fingers rested on the door handle. His heart pounded. He had to know that Ahmed and Kiana were okay. Almost detached from what he was doing, he heard the latch click. What will you do, Iskander Khan? she asked. A wedge of light broke into the room. Probably get killed, he said. But I won't sit in a closet while the world dies. The waxing pale beam from the door fell across the most surprising image of a young woman across the room, beside the steel shelves. A woman dressed in the black garb of a priest, white collar and all, and a mysterious smirk cutting her face. Seekander studied her for two seconds and then went. After the door fell closed again, she waited several seconds to give him a head start, and then she thought to herself, I have not the intention to break the regulation. Not exactly. She placed her lithe, pale hand on the door. But neither will I exactly stand by. Well, I guess we're just going to have to make the best of Dinosaur Earth. It's a done deed now, right? I mean, it's not all bad. These Mesozoic ferns give my green thumbs the, the tingles. Oh, I'm sure I could do some uh, evil demon magic to set things right. But if hot earth is wrong, I don't want to be right. I mean, just look at my sweaty barbarian pecs. Hmm, magic. Why are you looking at me? You hate when I do magic. Besides, as we were discussing right before the Pteranodon snatched us, I don't feel like sorcery was the right path for me. It's useless. I can't do anything. You gotta give it a shot, man. Can't believe I'm saying this. We can't just sit on our hands and let hot earth happen like it's... Like it's nothing. Nothing. Oh, Matt. What can I do? You can try. Ouch. Trying is dumb. Ah! Why are you shaking me? Because the one time that you should be impetuous and cocky, you're being a little bitch. Oh, that's sexist language. It's mean to compare poor bitches to Brett. Just...
do something, man! Uh, stop shaking me. Fine. <clears throat> I'll try something. Hesberek et morine, gostwenthen verbis nex, in obrium bis pendule, paransic contus rex. You did it! Oh, you did it, bro! You barely fucked up at all. Barely? I did it. I guess I did do it. Wait, what do you mean, barely? Everything is back to the way it was. No more ferns, no more T-Rexes. All your patio furniture is unstacked. Oh. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, God damn it, Brett! Why do I have a fucking stegosaurus tail? Monster Porn Podcast is a production of Warped Box Media. Today's story was Pastorus, the Hesycast, by me, Brett Norwood. Good day, Monsterbaters. Brett here. If you think we're so hot we're contributing to the Holocene Climate Maximum, if you believe we put the oh in CO2, be sure to subscribe to Monster Porn on your preferred podcast app and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute and helps us grow. Check out the official Monster Porn store at monsterpornpodcast.com store, where you'll find shirts, phone cases, stickers, the Moms Love Monster Porn mug, private jets, lattes, and the Colossus of Rhodes. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you're an artist or a creator, be sure to share your work with us. We'd love to see what you're up to. That's it. Until next time, Monster Baiters, stay weird, and Godspeed, Strange Cowboy. If you think we're so hot, we're contributing to the Holocene Climate Maximum. If you believe we put the O oh in CO2. <laughs> That's too good. Oh, my globe is warming. If you believe we put the O. Oh, if you believe we put the O oh in CO2. Just sit on our hands and let hot earth happen like it's... Godzilla, oh my god. Sorry. How could CO2 emissions not create a climate apocalypse? Jesus, the most boring shit I've ever said. You two are annoying me. Oh, oh your device? Is that what Algor the smart, smart barbarian? Smart barbarian. Oh, uh, your device? 
Is that what Al Gore the Smarmbarian? Al Gore. Shit. I just want to write... You want to do what now? He resisted the family's... Fuck. Family's fuck. This isn't that kind of show. Who's there? He tried again. Hushed. Urgent. That's not how I said it at all. I mean, just look at my sweaty barbarian pecs! <laughs>